Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Okay, Outrageous I'm glad you're here. I'm excited to talk about this new era that we're in right now, namely the era of our holy fathers and mothers. So we have Parshas Lech Lecha and Avraham Avinu, Abraham our father, and our holy mother Sarah, and it's just, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing, amazing thing, okay? So now... What I want to do is talk about the beginning of our meeting Avraham. And the Torah tells us he's 75 years old. Now this is interesting because we know amazing things about Avraham Avinu, incredible miracles, incredible things that he did before this event, before he was 75 years old. So the question is, why isn't the Torah including any of those things? Why are we beginning in seriousness the telling of Avraham Avinu's life at age 75. And the Maharal says something just amazing, which is that if the Torah included all of these amazing things that Avraham Avinu did up until this point, which is basically discovering God, right? He single-handedly, without any help from anyone, discovered God. That's amazing. Now, let me just throw in a PS here, because this is something that I think a lot of people miss. And I heard this, I missed it myself, and I heard this from Rabbi Yadin Steinsaltz. A lot of people think that he is the creator slash inventor, whatever you want, of monotheism. And it's true, but it's not exactly true. And let me just tell you what I mean. Because when God created the world, Adam Harishon, Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava, knew the oneness of God and knew that all that existed was God. So this concept of monotheism actually was revealed right at the moment of creation. It's just over the generation, it was over the generations it was covered over with confusion. People wanted to worship the sun and the stars as emissaries of God. And then soon they forgot about God altogether and they just started worshiping what was immediately in front of them. And so idol worship was born. And idol worship takes over the entire world. So when Avraham enters into the world, he basically enters into this world filled with idol worship because the oneness of God was forgotten. So he wasn't the first person to know that there was one God. That's Adam and Eve. But he's the one who restores the truth to the world. So that's just a just a footnote, but just important for our kind of our Torah literacy. We, we have to know that point. Okay. So why didn't God begin the telling of the story of Abraham's life with all of these amazing things before he was 75 years old? And now the Maharal explains the following, that had those things been included, we would have thought that the reason why God chose Avraham, and by extension the Jewish people, is because of all of these amazing things that he did. But what God wanted to communicate by leaving all of those things out is that God's love for Avraham and the Jewish people is unconditional. See, because otherwise you would think that unless I'm doing this, that, and the other thing, then I'm left aside because that's the only reason why Abraham was chosen, because he did this, that, and the other thing. 
right? So when you understand that the foundation is, is beyond the rational, that God loves us just because he loves us, then you understand like a little bit more like what the true nature of our relationship with God is. Now, we can't mis- misinterpret that and we can't take advantage of that in a negative way, right? Which is that, well, that means that just gives me license to do whatever I want to do because God loves me so much and, and I can get away with anything, right? Because the foundation is unconditional. So that would be not the way to understand this teaching. <laughs> we still have to do our very best. We have to strive to do our very best, but never to forget that you're loved just because you're you, right? So even on a bad day, it's not like, okay, you know, in heaven, they're looking at your performance review. Oh, you didn't do great today. So we're just going to check the your unloved box. (laughs) It's not that. It's never that. You're never not loved. You're always loved, right? But we also still have to try to do our best at all times. So it's, it's again, the same, the same idea. Um, so let me throw in one more thing. Because we're really, over the next couple of Parshas, we're really going to be seeing a lot of tests. Ten tests of Avraham. Ten tests. And I had this thought a while back, I'll just throw it in because I love it. You know, these 10 tests parallel the 10 spherot. And Lech Lecha is the idea of Avraham is ascending. He's not just walking to Israel. He's ascending all 10 spherot to the highest place in heaven with these 10 tests. And now you want to hear something even more amazing? This is the thing that blew my mind. I was on the treadmill at the time when this came to me. I was like, I just started laughing. It's like, so each of the spherot contain all of the other 10 spherot, all right? Which means that the 10 spherot are really 100 spherot. And you know what the gematria of Lech Lecha is? 100. <laughs> In other words, when Hashem says Lech Lecha, He's not just telling him, go to Israel. He's telling him, ascend step by step this ladder leading to the highest, highest top of heaven. Right? Because Lech Lecha is a hundred and there are ten spherot and ten spherot within each spherot, which is a hundred. Okay. By the way, I think the Ma'or V'Shemesh also says something very close to that. So, okay. So we're in good company. Um... So let's keep on going. Well, I told you something a moment ago that God says, Lech Lecha, and that's Avraham's command to go to Israel. And is that really true? So, and what I'm about to tell you right now, I think is, I'm going to tell you two teachings right now that I think all of life is contained in. Okay? That's a pretty good bargain. How's that? How's that for bang for the buck? Two teachings, each of which contain all of life. 
All right, you're not going to get this. You're not going to get this daily special every day. So, listen up. <laughs> okay, teaching number one: It does not say go to Israel. If you actually open up the Torah and look, it says something far more challenging. God says, "Go to the place that I will show you." Doesn't say Israel. I'm going to say that again. Think about this. Think about it. Understand the implications of this. Pick up your entire life. Uproot yourself entirely. This amazing community that Abraham and Sarah had made, they, they spread the word of the oneness of God to so many people who like were created this giant community, right? And now God says, pick up, leave it all, just go to the place that I will show you. So if you're me, you might want to ask the following question. Where? (laughs) (laughs) And God says, the place I'll show you. East? Just go. West? Just go. You mean I'm just supposed to go and I don't know where I'm going? That's right. Does that sound like life? <laughs> God says to us, by the way, the Chidush Rim says the command Lech Lecha was not just to Abraham, it was to every Jew for all time. Keep moving. Keep moving and don't stop. This command was to all of us. Keep moving and don't stop till we get to the redemption. So, so that's one of the major challenges of life. Like, I don't know what's going to happen in five minutes. I certainly don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Next year? I remember I once stood in front of the Happy Minion, it was Rosh Hashanah, and I said, I know with perfect certainty what's going to happen this coming year. So, you know, I got some wide eyes as, as I was hoping to get from such an outlandish statement like that. And then I answered, change. Because that is the only thing that we can take for granted is that things, are, things change. Things just keep changing. That that's basically it. That's, that's, all, that's, that's all we got, is that knowledge, basically. So God tells us, Lech Lecha, keep moving. I don't know who it was. I want to say it's Woody Allen or something like that. But the, the quote is, 85% of life is just showing up. <laughs> that, that, that's another way of saying the same idea of keep moving. But the point is this. You know, it's true, God doesn't tell us where we're going. And he asks us to keep heading toward that place. And to me, that's just such an encapsulation of life. And I remember a story that I heard from Rabbi Green. And he said that when he was a little boy, 
he went to see his grandmother. And he said it was a really hot day. I think it was in Baltimore. And he went with her and he got to her house and she said, oh, we just have to go to this store together. And he was so hot. And you know, a little kid, kids are like impatient and everything like that. And she's like, they're waiting online and she's getting packages and he's, and then she says, we, we have to go to another store. And he's just, you know, just, you have to have Rachmanis, like compassion on a little boy on a hot day who's with his grandmother who's running errands. <laughs> and then they get into a bus and they take a long bus ride. And then when they get out, she was taking him to the beach and everything that she bought was just like picnic and lunch stuff for him to enjoy at the beach. And that's, that's what it is. Like he didn't know where he was going, but he loved his grandmother, right? So he stuck with her. And it turned out it was all for him in the end. So that's us in God. That's us in God. Okay. All of life contained in this next teaching, number two. And this is just, it's a story and is just one of my favorite, favorite, favorite stories. So the Rishner Rebbe was in his day, like the dean of all the Rebbe's. All the Rebbe's came to see the Rishner Rebbe. And the Rishner Rebbe had four sons and all four sons became big Rebbe's right? Including the Biana Rebbe and um, the Sadigora Rebbe. And this is about the short cover Rebbe. Okay. So the short cover Rebbe was a little boy um, and he was in outside his father's study. There was a little kind of like waiting room. And that's where people would wait to have Yechidas, like a one-on-one meeting with the Rishina Rebbe. And as a little boy, he would become a future great Rebbe. But as a little boy, he would like play in the in the anteroom, right? And one day he sees a man whose like face is so low. He's like, you could see just from his expression that his life is falling apart. And then he sees finally it's his turn to go and have Yechidas with the Rebbe. He goes and he, he sees uh, the Rishner and he comes out of the room and his face is shining. So the little boy like runs up to him and he says, what did my father tell you? And the man said, your father said, Hashem will help. And the little boy says to him, what are you going to do until Hashem helps? And his face falls. And he says, go ask my father. So he goes back in to see the original Rebbe and he comes back out and his face is shining again. He said, what did my father say? He said, your father told me that until Hashem helps, Hashem will help. <laughs> That's it. That's all of life is contained in that story. All of life is contained in that story. Until Hashem helps, Hashem will help. And that's what it is. That's Lech Lecha. That's go to the place that I will show you. Hang on one second.
Okay. Um, so let's go deeper because I want to I want to try to answer a question which is there there's several Gomorrahs in I think the, the, the one that's usually mentioned is in uh, Moid Cutton and 16b that, that have this idea that the tzaddik, right, because Avraham Avinu is sort of like the classic tzaddik. And I'll show you a source from this in the Zohar in a, in a moment, that he's really like the foundation of the world. In fact, so much so that the Medrash asks this question, an amazing question, which is, why didn't God put Abraham in the Garden of Eden instead of Adam? Right? This is how much the foundation of the world Abraham is. Okay? But, but I'll give you another source for this in a moment. But I want to talk about a more general idea right now, which is it says that the tzaddik is gozer and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is makayim, which means that a tzaddik, meaning a rebbe, meaning a holy person, man, woman, right? Just a holy person decrees, and then Hashem fulfills the decree of the holy person. So, so how does that work exactly? <laughs> and now we're entering into one of these questions that there's a mountain of Torah on. But I, I'd like to, you know, I heard Reb Shlomo say one time, but, you know, I also have to try. So, you know, everyone's got to be able to give their own attempt to answer these greatest questions. So please uh, allow me to try to explain the mechanics, if you will, of what it means that the holy person, the tzaddik is gozer, the, the, the tzaddik decrees, and Hashem fulfills. <coughs> By the way, just again, just, just for our, our, our general knowledge, this idea that you go to a tzaddik for a blessing, right? Because that's this idea, you, you go to a tzaddik, and, and this is not a contemporary or relatively contemporary phenomena, starting with the Hasidic movement with Hasidic rebbe's. This goes all the way back to the Talmud that says that if a person is sick, that they should go to the tzaddik of the city and to get a blessing from them. Why? Just, just so you know, this idea of getting blessings from people is, is, is a very core Jewish concept, which goes back thousands of years. Not only that, but one of the opening verses in Lech Lecha says that the Jewish people are going to be blessed and whoever they bless will be blessed. So again, not only that, but let's take it a step further. It says that for a commoner, meaning someone who is not, you know, at least outwardly, spectacularly holy, that one should never look down on the blessing of a common person or of, or of a quote-unquote average person. Okay, so you see the, the power to bless another person is very, very great. I mean, really sort of like the hallmark version is a tzaddik, but... It also says it by just you or me. So what does that mean? 
How does it work exactly? What, are the, what is the mechanics of blessing? A, this is a big idea, right? This is a big subject. So let's just try to tackle it together over the next few minutes. I want to tell you one, one of the, as far as I'm concerned, one of the world's greatest Torahs from the Kutzka Rebbe. And, and this is also going to set the stage for, for our answer. It seems like it's going to be on a slightly different subject, but you'll see it will be ultimately on the same subject, which is, where is God? The Kutzka Rebbe asks the question, where is God? And, you know, I think most people who were thoughtful and whose hearts were open would run to give the following answer. God is everywhere. And it's not a bad answer. But the Katskarevi gives such a better answer. <laughs> he says, you know where God is? Where you make a place for him. See, now let's just, okay, that's the end of the teaching, but let's just think about what the Katskarevi means by that, okay? You see, God can be absolutely everywhere, but if I cheat in business and I speak Lashon Hara, on some deep level, what difference does it make if God is everywhere? Do you understand? So the Kutzker Rebbe says, God is where you make a place for him. Now with that in mind, I want to tell you something that I'm putting together here, but I think it's very, very meaningful. Where is the first place that Abraham Avinu is mentioned in the Torah? So it's kind of a surprising answer. And it's, it's in this word, Behibaram. Okay, now I'm telling you a Zohar. This is the Zohar I alluded to earlier in the talk. You have the first seven days of creation. Okay, we have to ask another question. Again, another question with a surprising answer. If I, everybody knows that the holiest name of God is Yudke Vavke, right? The four letter name of God. If I were to ask you where in the Torah it appears for the first time, this holiest name of God, what would you answer? I'll give you my answer. I would guess, if I had to guess, I would say in the first verse of the Torah, right? Like, why wouldn't God's holiest name appear in the first verse of the Torah? But it doesn't. In fact, it doesn't appear until the very first verse after the seven days of creation are complete. Okay? See, it says, Breshis bara Elohim. Right? So it uses this name, Elohim. Elohim, right? That's how you would really say it, but we'll say Elohim. Out of beginnings, God created the heavens and the earth. But it doesn't say Yudke Vavke. Why not just mention God's holiest name there? By the way, I got to tell you just something, just an awesome teaching. Awesome, awesome teaching. Um, someone I was learning with this Rav, by the way, who told me that he used to put out a weekly newsletter, which was, it was all the teachings that he found in the Gomorrah while he was looking for 
what he was actually looking for in the Gomorrah. <laughs> okay, so you get all the teachings on the way to the teaching as well. For the same price. <laughs> but don't order yet. Um, anyway, the Medrash says that the stamp, God's stamp on creation is truth. Truth is God's stamp. And so you see in the first three words of the Torah, the last three letters of the first three words, Breshis, Bara, Elohim, spells the word, those last three letters, spells the word emes, truth. But now, if you think about it for a few seconds, you'll have probably the same question that I had, which is, but it's not spelled in order. Breshis ends with a tough, Bara ends with an Aleph, and Elohim ends with a Mem. If you're going to spell the word truth, why not just spell the word Emes, truth? Now listen to this. The last three words of the seven days of creation are Bara Elohim Lasos. Do you know what the last three letters spell? The word Emes, truth, in order. You know why? Because God puts truth in this world, but he wants us to reveal it. Right? It's in the world, but it's not openly revealed as truth yet. And that's our job to like, so to speak, take what's already in the world and to rearrange it, right? By changing our minos. When we change our personality traits, when we like try to refine ourselves spiritually, when we love each other more, what are we doing? We're taking these letters that spell truth and we're arranging them so that they actually spell truth. And of course, the seven days of creation parallel the seven millennia leading up to the perfection of the world. Those seven days parallel the 7,000 years leading up to total revealed perfection. And the last three words of the seventh day Spell out the word emes in perfectly revealed order. Okay. So now what are we talking about? The first time God's holiest name appears is right after the word emes appears. Okay. Interesting. And now in that first verse, I believe it's chapter 2, verse 4 in, in, in Genesis, Breshis. It talks about the creation of the world. It's kind of doing a little bit of a review. And it uses the word that God created. And, he, and the Hebrew word is behi baram. And the Zohar notices something amazing, which is behi baram, if you rearrange the letters of that, it spells the word be-avraham. Meaning to say that the world was created for the sake of Avraham. <laughs> Getting back to this idea that Abraham is this foundational, holy tzaddik. And the Meor Veshemesh says, by the way, when it says Abraham, it also means Yitzchak and Yaakov, just in case you're feeling jealous for those two, okay? But Abraham is the paradigm for the holy person, all of us, any of us, that the world is created for, right? Those who kind of like perceive the oneness of God and understand that we're partners with God in terms of finishing the world. 
but the name Abraham is mentioned. Okay. So now we're going to put all the pieces together. You see, well, maybe we'll add one more step. So the Me'or Veshemesh, the Chernobyl Rebbe, answers this question. Why doesn't the name of God, the Yudke Vavke, appear earlier in the Torah? Why do we wait for the seven days of creation for the natural order of the world? Remember, the, the divine name that's used throughout the seven days is Elohim, which is the same gematria as which is the same gematria as Hateva. Right, which means nature. Okay, so so in the first seven days, the natural order is being created. All right. And then after the natural order is created, immediately after the seven days of creation, the natural order is created, you have the holiest name of God. Okay, so now listen to the Meor Vishemish's, I'm sorry, listen to the Meor Enayim's explanation of this, the Chernobyl Rebbe. Imagine anything existing within the infinite. In other words, how can the finite exist within the infinite? Imagine this like nuclear ball of like, like quantum energy. How can anything finite exist within the same realm as that? without getting completely vaporized by the infinity itself? Does everyone hear the question? This is an ancient question, by the way. In fact, I even heard that all of Kabbalah is coming to explain this question. How can the finite exist within the infinite? Simpsom. Yes, that's right, but you have to put yourself on mute, on mute please, as, as, a re, as a reward for your right answer. <laughs> So if you want to be fancy, we've got a Kabbalistic term for this, and it's called Tzimtzum. And that's this... So let me give you another example just so we can appreciate the question more. Imagine someone wants a drink of water. And I say, oh, you want water? I've got water and I open up the floodgates of Hoover Dam. <laughs> wow. That just, like, not helpful. Not helpful. And the person is probably not even alive after that. Right? Or another example. Someone wants a drink of water, and I open up a industrial power fire hose in their face. <laughs> Not helpful. So how is God going to put his infinity within this world and have this world continue to exist? Another giant question, right? How, how is that going to come about? So the answer is what they do, by the way, in electrical power plants. 
And they also do it in water stations with dams. So I'll give you two visuals, and, and I think you're going to get it. At the electrical power plant, they don't feed that tremendous energy right into your house because your house would literally blow up, okay? What they have are these breaker systems all along the way, which scale down the power to lower and lower voltages until it reaches your house. And then you can just flick on a switch in your house and the light bulb goes on. Okay, here's another example. You have all of the city's plumbing, all like water lines, condensing it. You're not going to be in pictures. So what God did was he solved the problem of the infinite and the finite, just like we do with dams and just like we do with electrical stations. Dams ultimately end up with a faucet that you can turn on in your kitchen and you can pour water in a cup. So it's amazing. This amazing amount of energy gets distilled so that it can enter into the world. God created the whole system of nature just so that he could take the infinite and filter it through the finite so that we could receive it without it blowing up all of creation. That's the idea. Now, what do we see right before God's holiest name, yud kei vav I think it's two words before. We see this word bihibaram, which is for the sake of Avraham. In other words, what is the last gate that the divine light enters through before it becomes revealed in this world? The holy person. Do you understand? Do you, do you, do you see how it works? It's amazing. The, the holy person is the last gate, the last stage until the faucet is ready to be turned on. And now we can answer the question of the Katsuka Rebbe. Where is God? Where you let him in? In other words, you become that final channel through which God is revealed into the world is you, is me, is all of us. That's why God can be everywhere. But it doesn't matter if we're speaking Lashon Hara and we're stabbing each other in the back because the last revelation of godliness enters through us. That's why you have Bahibaram, which is Ba'avraham for the sake of Avraham, and then the Yudke Vavke. God becomes revealed in this world through us. That's what it is. And that's why I think it means that when the Tzaddik is Gozer, when the Tzaddik, the holy person, decrees, Hashem fulfills the decree because the tzaddik is that last gate. It's the person who's aligned his will with Hashem's will. And so what that person says is what God wants and it becomes revealed into the world through their blessing. And I think that's that's how it works. So you say, well, that's great for a holy person, but I think that's what it means that even a commoner like you and me or whatever it is, can give a blessing. Because if you are sincere and you are really connecting in that moment, like really, like be'emes, right? In truth, if you are really connecting in the moment, even if you're not spectacularly holy, right? At that moment, you are in complete alignment. And so at that moment, God's will can also flow through you into this world. Okay, so this is a rare postscript to a talk because after just sharing with you what I did, I'm in Mexico City. I'm at a family wedding right now. And I saw something which just just was 
in in my mind, how I experienced it miraculous, because I saw something which was literally what I just shared with you in this piece of art form. So at the at the um, shul, the synagogue where they were holding the the the, the wedding itself, there was against the, the the back of the shul this giant piece of art, and it was this beautiful gold letter olive, and you know, an olive has four sides to it. And cut through this metal olive, right? On each of the four corners of this olive was the letter Yud, the letter He, the letter Vav, and the letter He. One letter for each of the four corners. In other words, that olive is standing for Avraham and shining through, cut through the light of the Yud Ke Vav Ke is coming through Avraham Avinu, the last gate. The light of God is coming through. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's precisely what we just talked about today. And there it was. And I'm going to include a, a, a picture of this on the internet if you, if you want to see it. It's, it's just mind-boggling to see something so exactly, precisely what we were just talking about in this beautiful piece of art right after. Um, I'm sure the kavana, the holy intention of the artist, the letter Aleph, you know, stands for one. That's the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, because Aleph is one and God is one. So Aleph stands for God for that reason. The Aleph of Abraham aligns itself with this representation of the oneness of God. Why? Because Abraham embraced and, and, and proclaimed the oneness of God. So he was one in this world, paralleling the oneness above. Amazing, 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 amazing. Not only that, but I told you that Ma'or V'shemesh says that when it says Behi Baram, which means Ba'avraham, says the Zohar, in other words, that the world was created for the sake of Avraham, that that also includes Yitzchak and Yaakov. And I was thinking one time, but it's appropriate to share it with you right now, if you can picture the letter Aleph, you have the upper Yud, then you have a Vav across, and then the lower Yud. So the Aleph stands for Avraham, the upper Yud stands for Yitzchak, the, and the lower Yud, Yaakov. So within the letter Aleph, you have Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Okay, have a great week. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.